Hey everybody, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. I hope you're enjoying Cave Month, but I regret to inform you that the final episode of Cave Month must be postponed. I myself just got back into town from northern Florida, the heart of cave country. But unfortunately, it was due to a family emergency and not a fun weekend of cave diving. And upon my return, Brando was off dealing with some family issues as well. So now we were going to try to rush an episode for you guys, but decided that just giving you something thrown together really fast just to get it out was not the right thing to do. So next week, we will have what we had planned on putting out for the final episode of Cave Month. It's going to be a great one. This week, however, we are going to re-air for you one of our top-rated cave diving episodes from a couple years ago. It's the great Parker Turner story, the incident at Indian Springs, one of my favorite episodes. It's a super exciting story, fascinating story, and I hope you guys dig it. In the meantime, let me give a great big shout out and virtual hug and high five to all of our fans out there all over the world cave divers and non-cave divers all of you patreon supporters and paypal donators and everyone who's helped make this show possible huge big thank you to you guys you're who we do this for you are the reason why this show keeps coming out week after week after week except for this week just re-airing show you know what i mean so without further ado give it up for the incident at indian springs Talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much. All right, so hey gang, welcome back to the Great Die Podcast. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> Gotta warn me when you're gonna start. So we got a um, we have a, another tragic tale for you. Yay! For <laughs> for all you dark, tragic fans, <laughs> dark macabre <laughs> bastards out there who love tales of death and tragedy. But this is uh this is a sad one this time. So last week we made a lot of jokes about Brad and Lee and their um, difficult time underwater as a husband and wife arguing. <laughs> At least we're assuming. I mean, they're not here to tell their tale. This week, to close out National Cave Diving Month, we are going to look at a different side of a cave diving fatality, um, a big one that occurred in the early 90s. Now, last week's episode with Brad and Lee was a, a learning lesson type of a dive where they broke a bunch of rules. Yeah, you learn, paid. learn there's consequences to being a dumbass. Right. This one... Is a just a an it's, accident. 
Like Which, the Grim Reaper. Yeah. When the Grim Reaper pulls your card, the Grim Reaper pulls your card. And, and this is your time, baby. Yeah, this is something that um, I don't think could have been predicted beforehand, really. No, but I think this is what I like about our show is we're tackling the deep philosophical questions. Ooh. Is there free will? Is there? Is it all just fate? When your card gets turned, later, bitch, uh, have a nice day kind of thing. Yeah, nice to uh, know you. Nice to know you. So you can be... You know, should you just say, oh, I'm just going to be a dumbass, do whatever the hell I want, take any chance I want, because when my card turns, that's when I'll go. You know, which, or, which makes me think, yeah. there's a lot of old bastards like that. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> how many decks they got, these guys got? Well, I'm telling you, that's uh, these kind of things are unprovable. You're, you can argue you... till eternity, right? Nice. It's like the idea of free will. Do you really have it or not? Or is it all just faded? That's the beauty of the the Great Dive podcast, if you ask me. I mean, we don't just tackle. Yeah, we're not just yeah, talking not, to you about diving in Grand Cayman. We're not talking about, hey, go down to Thailand, go to these islands, go here, buy our classes. You need these specialty classes. We're actually tackling something that goes to the core Deep. of humanity, Deeper. the core of existence. And uh, yeah, cave diving is a perfect uh, medium to to examine these questions. In the 80s and into the 90s, down in northern Florida, there's a very famous cave system that was being explored by uh, really a lot of the world's top divers. True facts. Still being explored to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they're, they're doing more right in the system, which is you know the Wakulla system. Yeah, yeah. the WKPP is still doing geological surveys. Yeah, because it wasn't just... Mapping and exploring. Mapping, right? yeah, yeah. I think there's still a ton of unknown stuff down there for them. They may have connected many of these uh, cave systems, which I think in Waka- the Wakula Basin there, that the Woodville-Karst Basin there, that that whole area has many, many springs in it. Sally Ward and Indian Springs, and there's... You know, industry, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, yeah, it covers a huge part of northern Florida. And in, in this day, they were they were mapping out where it all went and what was all connected. And later, later became the deepest, longest cave system world record. But in the late '80s, there were a team of some twenty explorers and scientists from really all over the world that gathered down in that Wakulla spring area of florida to start a project and it was the wakulla springs project they were there to start a mapping project in wakulla springs and really test the limitations of of current scuba technology really they were getting into the limits of open circuit in some ways and and working with rebreathers there was a experimental computer controlled diving system that they were working with trying to enhance the safety of explorers and scientists underwater and uh, they were also working on a comprehensive study of hydrology, geology, and biology in the Wakulla Springs. True facts. Now, a little known fact about Wakulla Springs is some 20 years prior to this, they were filming a movie. <laughs> my uh, One of my favorite movies. The cult classic. Uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon. So if anybody remembers that Great, fantastic old universal horror film. Uh, that's where that was filmed, was in Wakulla. But Wakulla Springs is uh, located south of Tallahassee, Florida, in a big state park. The main uh, great funnel has crystal clear water, 300-foot diameter basin, which gives rise to the old Wakulla River. Ridiculous flow of nearly 400 cubic feet of water per second coming.
coming out of this cave system, creating the river. And it has been known to carry nearly 2,000 cubic feet of water per second during the high flow times of the year. So this uh, this system leads to a big, long, deep, dark, and uh, magical cave that's been uh, in exploration for uh, decades now. And back in the early 90s, there was a tragic tale of one of the, the founders of this project, a guy by the name of Parker Turner. So um, old Parker Turner was in his uh, late 30s at the time. He was a professional underwater cave diver he apparently a... he came from money he, yeah his, well, uh, his he folks had, yeah. uh had like some oil rigs and uh so he was pretty much independently wealthy from what i understand and, and well, you just, have to be to just a dove. cave explorer <laughs> <laughs> because a it costs a lot of money takes a lot of time unless you can do that for a living which really it's you know dive instructors you right know, chime right. in here anytime <laughs> Uh, all you wealthy dive instructors, pry yourselves away from your caviar and champagne and let us know, you know, are you making a shit ton of money? Right. That's, um, I think, the majority of people that are professionally diving for a living. That's all they do. Right. They've either made some money somewhere. Or they have a means. Right. Or they're just, the, everything they get goes into diving. And, and good they, for them. Yeah. Good for them. It is what it is. But yeah, he uh, he was also uh, in charge of the Florida State University diving program. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag true facts is what you're sure. So he's um he was well known. He was he was renowned, and you know what I like about the stories I've read of all the things that I've read in in my early days, especially when I was just getting into when I was getting into cave diving and and going down my GUE route uh, after I was already a cave diver and learning about the history. One of the greatest things that someone has said, that an instructor has said to students. And this kind of goes to the seriousness of cave diving training. I mean, we were talking about that last week. It's not like your open water, you know, clap and handshake. Hey, nice job. You know, you cleared your mask. Parker Turner said to uh, George, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm going off memory, so one of the first things he said when he was training George to cave dive was uh, take the cotton out of your ears and stick it in your mouth. Okay, (laughs) which I I love it because this this whole, especially when you get into higher levels of diving, these people come in believing they already know it all. They've got it. They're just they just need the card. I just need this card. You know, how many times have you heard this, James? (laughs) Uh, I just need this card. So if you could just, you know, pencil with me, that'd be great because you can see I'm pretty big deal. I'm, uh, you know, I've got the advanced navigator from. I've got an Ariskany T-shirt on. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I must be doing something right. I've made it this far. I've been 300 feet. I'm a dive master. So, uh, yeah, Parker was a um, he was an instructor at FSU, like you said, uh, Florida State University in their uh, dive program. And uh, was uh, very famous for his knowledge of diving, debates that he would have about diving protocols at the time, um, meticulous preparations, his uh, focus on safety. He helped fund and uh, put in a lot of those early uh, stop signs throughout northern Florida's underwater caves. But yeah, so uh, he was a native of Louisiana, moved to uh, northern Florida in the mid-80s to cave dive for a living. For a living? For, or, well, uh, no, just no, no, to cave dive full time. Yeah, so yeah, just yeah, so move to move to Florida just to cave dive. Just to cave dive full time. Full time. Yes, instead of instead as of, opposed to of for a living. <laughs> right. Like, well, right. It's not much of a living. Well, no. 
Well, just, it could be a living. I don't know. Maybe people can get paid to cave dive. Instructors, I know. Yeah, yeah right, right. Yeah. So, so he point being, he wasn't cave diving right. to teach and make a buck. He, he was, was just mm-hmm. that was his life. He was exploring. He exploring, was, uh, doing. Mm-hmm. He was on the forefront. Taught at the university for free. He was unpaid. He's an unpaid intern. Yeah, he wasn't an intern. He was just he a, was a volunteer, you know, uh, educator there. And um, <laughs> he wasn't an intern. I was just. Be nice to I have was a, joking. <laughs> he wasn't an intern. But uh, yeah, married, had one daughter. Now that I did not know. I always thought uh, he was single. And in the um, late '80s, early '90s, he uh, joined uh, a group of other divers. Um, Notable La- divers. Notable divers. Uh, Lamar English, Bill Gavin, and Bill Maine. And they started uh, working on this Woodville Karst plane project, or what we call the WKPP. And for folks out there that may not know this, those three names, Lamar English, Bill Gavin, and Bill Maine, or William Hogarth Maine, uh, they're very, very well-known famous divers in, in the technical diving world in the cave diving world in particular but in the technical diving world uh, these guys are pretty well known at least I know you know me coming up in the early 90s and learning about technical diving and uh, really getting into it these names were commonplace yeah and in fact a, a lot of what um, you see today on a on a dive boat of somebody wearing a simple backplate and wing with a long hose that really doesn't understand what they have. It just is now being marketed as really right. the really cool, trendy stuff to buy in, in a lot of ways. I mean, this is these three names is a lot of where it came from. Well, yeah. Well, that's Hogarth. Hogarthian system. William Hogarth Maine came up with that. And basically, these guys took like logic and a whole lot of brains and analyzation of accidents and, and what works and what doesn't work and try to reduce it down to its most simplistic, you know, philosophy. What do I need and what do I not need to be taking with me underwater and how should I wear it so that I can get to it easily? Okay, so let's so, get it. Let's yeah. get at it. Anyway, so we got a background. These are pretty big di- big time divers. They're not newbies and they're not idiots no, I mean, and these they're guys not are... fly by the seat of their pants, guys. These are very practiced, safe, highly disciplined divers. No, I mean at, at this at this point yes. in the nineties, I mean I mean this is early nineties. There right. are already thousands of feet of penetration into this cave and hundreds of feet in depth. And many, many dives is my yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. They, these guys are very experienced and they are not like what we used to see a lot of you know, i.e. cowboys. You'd call they'd come in, I'm doing my own thing, I do it my way and it's pure balls, man. All that stupid shit that they used to say and do and they're dead. Well that was where a but lot that's of not these guys. Right, that's a lot of where of what what we do today. The reason for why we do what we do today is is there was a cracking point where it was like we can't take these people. Can't take it anymore. The idiocy has to go away. So this is the diving accident at Indian Springs. Now this is a story that was written by Bill Gavin, who was diving with Parker Turner at the time. Mm -hmm. So this is out of the uh, National Association for Cave Diving Journal from 2010. They uh, printed this article. This is an account of the diving accident at Indian Springs on November 17th, 1991, that resulted in the death 
of Parker Turner. Bill Gavin goes on to say, Our dive at Indian Springs was the first in a series of exploration dives that had been in the planning stages for nearly two years. Because of the unique profile of the cave and the extreme depth at the point at which actual exploration would take place, special decompression tables had been generated by Dr. R.W. Hamilton. The dive plan consisted of a 40-minute transit at 140 feet of seawater while breathing uh, Nitrox 27 travel mix, a descent and exploration at 300 feet of seawater using Trimix 1444, followed by the return 40-minute transit to exit the cave. The deep working phase of the dive was expected to last 20 to 25 minutes. The 140 feet of seawater penetration and exit was done using 280 cubic foot stage bottles, while the deep portion was accomplished using back-mounted double 104s. So, 40 minutes in. 40 minutes out. And then how much on the dive? And then an additional 20, 20 minutes on the bottom. At so 140. 80, so we're talking 100, 100 minutes. 100 minute dive. So we're, we're doing... 100 minutes at 140 feet. Uh, well, par- and 20 of that is in 300 feet. 300 feet. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to get a feel, right? So they're doing like 140 feet for 40 minutes traveling to where they want to go. Now, hang on, let me get my uh, <laughs> let me get my uh, Patty recreational dive planner here. So, 140 feet is giving me eight minutes of oh, no decompression go. limit. So you've so, blown that. <laughs> we, we blew that. You'd have to let do me, a, wait. Let me check the back. It hold on. You'd have to do a three minute fifteen. But if I got to do a fifteen minute stop at fifteen feet. But we also got to call that like I've I've missed my decompression. I've missed everything. I've I've exceeded my no decompression limit by. So yeah. So this is a, this is a huge dive, right? Right. Um. I mean, just the one forty for forty minutes is a is a pretty serious dive. Yeah. Let alone the second return at one forty for another forty minutes. Not to mention they've got a three hundred foot dive in there for 20 another minutes. twenty mm-hmm. twenty minutes plus as well. So it's a lot of inert gas being loaded up in your system. So you are getting into a a big commitment of being underwater. You're going to be there for a while. Yes. When things don't go right. You're stuck, man. <laughs> you don't have a choice. Yes. Because going to the surface to safety is... You're dead. Is, is, is You're death just death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, basically, you cannot go to the surface. So the dive went almost exactly according to plan during the penetration. We began our exit at 63 minutes into the dive. At this time, I had 2,300 PSI in my double 104s. And I assumed that Parker had the same or slightly less. We had reached our nitrox bottles at the top of the room in two to three minutes, began breathing them, and did not use our doubles again until we encountered the obstruction at what is known as the squaws restriction. Um, Who's telling the story? Bill Gavin. Gavin, okay. After picking up our second stage bottle during the exit, Parker signaled that his diver propulsion vehicle seemed to be running slow. We linked up a toe strap, and I increased the speed setting on my DPV to maximum. We were only about 1,500 feet from the entrance, so this did not present a serious problem. There is a distinctive arrow marker at the upstream-downstream junction, which is about 500 feet from the entrance. As this arrow came into view, I remember estimating that our bottom time was going to be somewhere between 105 to 110 minutes. We made the left turn at this arrow and immediately noticed that the visibility in the cave had decreased. The floor was completely obscured by billowing clouds of silt, but the line was still in clear water near the ceiling. As we got closer to the entrance, 
the visibility got progressively worse. Finally, we had to stop the DPV and swim while maintaining physical line contact. When we got to where I thought the restrictions should be, the line disappeared into the sand on the bottom of the cave. We began pulling the line out of the sand, but soon reached a point where it was buried too deep. Can you just imagine this, though? Yeah, this so when you go to like, a... Like, is all I would be saying in my rag. That's it. Right. Like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> like when you it, can when beep the, all that <laughs> Right. Like you go from 60 plus feet of visibility down to you have to, your Use hand line, has yeah. to be on that line to You know to, to something's know going on. Yeah. Right. Any cave divers out there who have ever come across this kind of thing, and I have, maybe you have, Jamesy, but I have been where you're diving and all of a sudden the viz starts to go to shit and then it goes to nothing. To like, you can't hold, you can't put your your freaking light in, into your mask and see a light. It, it looks like chocolate milk, and it's uh, it's not fun. Is uh, I guess me putting it lightly. It's very scary. So just imagining what these guys are going through and their how critical it is for them to stay on a timetable. So they know they now know like oh fuck right because this is in the days. One, you didn't just look down at your Perdix and it told you how to come out, <laughs> right? Uh, this is way before I those. Perdi- <laughs> Luckily, we have Perdixes now, so you're you're good. You're nothing bad will happen. Well, yeah, you just got to buy the good computer, and you <laughs> exactly. don't have to worry about that. But at least you know if they were doing this dive today, they would at least have a updating schedule. Yes, back then, you'd... right? We we looked at you know old Bill Hamilton cut some tables for them mm-hmm. that uh, you know they're using. Yeah, as, proprietary as, as table customized to, to tables yeah. made from you know. But it's made for a depth and a couple right. of different bottom time possibilities, mm-hmm. right? It's not uh, an unlimited right. Well, I'm sure these guys table. are still smart enough that they do have a some kind of if all hell breaks loose. Okay, this is we're just going to have to do this. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think they would be doing this type of dive if they didn't have the ability to extrapolate have, yeah, exactly. somehow. Like, well, I think what it gets to, Jamesy, too, is when you're doing this kind of diving, you get saturated to a point, and no matter how much longer you stay, you still have that same amount of deco. Right. Okay. So that's probably they're very close to that, if not there already. But this kind of diving, so it's not like they have to do any more deco, but they do have to have enough gas to get out to do the deco. To get to deco point, you know. At about this time, the second bottle that I had been breathing during the exit ran out. Realizing that the situation was not going to be quickly resolved, I elected to switch immediately to my doubles, which still had about two thousand psi of gas. So a lot of a lot of people who aren't cave divers probably don't understand what what he's saying there. Is he's on that travel bottle and it ran out, but that's a normal thing, right? So you're yeah. breathing that to exhaustion at this mm-hmm. point because it's it's just carrying more of your gas. For right, you. right. As far as stage dive goes that's those stages are to be used they're not like you uh the reserve your reserve for those stages is your back gas to a certain extent yeah because that's where all your donatable gases right mm-hmm. that's where your long hose you can donate right. that's where your Plus your you, back your is. shit hits the fan uh reserves is too right it, correct you know for example if there's a cave-in and and you're getting delayed don't give me away <laughs> I secured the line from the reel 
that we had carried with us to the end of the permanent line, where it was buried, and tried to search for a way out. The restriction seemed to be completely blocked with sand and perhaps rock. The visibility was so bad that we could not really figure out exactly where we were or what had happened. After finding no way past the blockage, I began to have doubts about our exact location. It seemed as though we must have made some mistake. While Parker continued to search, I swam about 300 feet back into the cave until I saw the upstream, downstream arrow marker. Though this marker is quite distinctive, I had to stare at it for a few seconds to convince myself that I really knew where I was. Yikes. So now, mind. Right. Mind's playing tricks on you, right? Start doubting yourself. Right. Like, have you ever, like, just been out in a a lake and you're like, Yeah, what the fuck? You're you're, you're looking, you're going, you're like, (laughs) I know. And then you look at your compass and the compass is like, You're going the wrong way, you idiot. And you go, Do I trust my compass? Or yeah. do I trust my brain? Or, 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 or yeah, it's uh, it's easy to do underwater, and it, in no vis or low vis, it's even harder. You you don't know what to do. It's very very upsetting to your psyche. Yeah, especially knowing that every minute is ticking. Yes, talking, ticking, talking, and and you've got hours before you get to the surface if everything goes correctly. Right. Right. Yeah. Just uh, I don't know. Cave divers, I think, can re- can hear the story or read the story and put themselves into it very easily just go oh crap the rest of the divers out there maybe not as easy but try so i'm not sure how many attempts we made to retrieve the buried line but at least 45 minutes passed while we sought in vain for some way out so 110 minutes Mm -hmm. into the dive we just added 45 minutes of just trying to figure out how the hell we get past this restriction in 140 feet of water. Yeah, yikes. So we did the 40-minute dive in 140 feet, 20 minutes in 300, 40 minutes back in 140 feet, and now we just had to add on an additional 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. At one point, Parker showed me his pressure gauge, which indicated about 400 PSI of gas remaining in his doubles. He wrote on a slate, what do we do? I knew he was hoping I had some idea, but the only thing I could think to write back was, hold on, I'll go look. I went back to search using my reel and sweeping left and right, finding no exit. I decided to return to the stage bottles, which at least had a little more gas to offer. I had been gone for less than five minutes when I returned to the bottles. Parker was not there. I found my second stage bottle, which had about 600 PSI left in it. I began breathing it while trying to think of some plan. After about four minutes, it ran out and I switched back to my doubles, which now had less than 300 PSI of gas. With no other alternative, I decided to try one last effort effort at finding an opening. As I started back out, I saw that another line had been teed into the permanent line. I followed it without really understanding how it had gotten there. I reached a point at which the cave seemed to open up and saw something hanging down on the edge of my vision. As I swam under the object, it dimly occurred to me that it was a second stage of a scuba regulator. By now, my doubles were almost empty and my regulator caught on my manifold as I passed. I rolled to my left to free it. At this point, I looked up and saw the permanent line rise at a sharp angle. I realized that I had cleared the restriction and raced to our decompression bottles, which were hung at 100 feet. I was almost holding my breath by the time I unclipped the second stage and began breathing from my first decompression bottle. Parker was not at the bottles, and I realized at this time that he had drowned. Yikes. Yeah, so just, I mean... Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to even imagine uh, if you're not a cave diver what that feels like. But so coming through this cave system, you would drop off your deco, your deco bottle. Mm-hmm. 
right? There's no point of having Carrying a it. bottle with a high PPO2 at such a point deep into the cave where it's impossible to breathe from anyways without right. toxin out, right? Not so. to mention it's uh, it's a lot of shit to be carrying around. You don't need to carry that with yeah, you. Yeah, so it doesn't the, need to be down there at the depth. And uh, so th- for dives like this, there's there's other teams of divers that are going in and staging these bottles for for them. Mm-hmm. So on their return back, everything's ready to, ready rock, to and roll. rock and roll. Yeah. So that this is the bottles they knew they had to get back to. Right. So this is at a hundred foot. So he made it up to a hundred so foot he, to get uh, to his first deco right. bottle. Yeah. So if he gets to these deco bottles, he he's good on gas, mm-hmm. really, right? Because it's it's. The rest of the bottles are there for are laid him on the up way for out. him. Yeah, he yep. has a support team. At least you know you've made it past that restriction, so you probably are going to make it home. The regulator that had caught on my manifold was from his doubles, which he had removed and dragged through the small opening. I had no idea where Parker was, and the visibility was still less than two feet. Numbly, I waited for support personnel to find me. In the confusion that followed, many lines were laid throughout the cavern area by our support divers in their attempt to locate Parker's body. Despite their efforts, he was not found until the following morning when visibility had increased to about 10 feet. It had been 60 feet or better when we started our dive. After going over the incident countless times, we were able to deduce what probably happened during those last minutes. While waiting for me, Parker must have decided to take his tanks off and try to squeeze through the blockage. Running short on gas, he probably decided that he couldn't wait any longer. He teed off his safety spool and dragging his tanks was able to find a way through the blockage. Perhaps in doing so, he caused the sand to shift enough that I was able to pass through a few minutes later with my double still on. After making it through the restriction, he ran out of gas just 30 feet short of our decompression tanks. When he passed out, he dropped his doubles and floated to the ceiling about 15 to 20 feet above. His tanks landed on the permanent line and hung there. The line from the safety spool was tangled around his tanks. Whether this contributed to his death is impossible to say. Certainly, it would have been difficult to lay line while dragging tanks and fighting extreme positive buoyancy from his dry suit. Miraculously, this combination of events, the line tangling on his tanks, which then caught on the permanent line, placed the line from his spool in the only location large enough for a diver and doubles to squeeze through. I believe that even a one-minute delay in my exit would have been enough to prevent me from ever reaching the decompression bottles. True. So, I mean, this whole story points to a lot of uh, all this shit happens for a reason, fate, just the way things happened. One guy died and... The other guy got out. Yeah, like a, just a sad, frightening tale of just like what the yeah, what the hell, you know. So I mean, diving with uh, more, way more than a dive buddy, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. you're not doing this level of dives unless you have an intimate relationship yeah. with 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 somebody, you know, far more than just a dive buddy, uh, a, a trust, a trusted, yeah, somebody you, you really trust, yeah, a trust but, that goes uh, way beyond just. Somebody who can I, I can share air with, right? Yeah, well, that's cave diving. You know, I like to think cave diving like that. Anyway, you don't just go cave diving with just speaking personally. You just don't jump in a cave with just any Joe Blow or Jane Blow. Or Brad and Lee. <laughs> Brad and Lee Blow. There's a lot of blows out there. Yeah. You just don't jump in with anybody. You, you should know who you're getting in the water with because you don't know what what can happen. Brad! <laughs> Here did we you, go. <laughs> did you go through that squall's <laughs> restriction? Now, now. Okay, so let's uh, let's take a different perspective. So one of the other guys that was on the team, 
was a guy by the name of George Irvine, who later went on to run the WKPP. But at this time, he was a fairly new diver, less uh, less than 100 dives, cave dives. And he was a he was a very seasoned technical diver, but had been diving, uh, you know, caves for I, I, don't, I think it was not even uh, two years yet but got mixed up with all these guys and got into the WKPP, and he was one of the support divers. So one of the guys that laid those bottles in 100 feet for them to come pick up was done by Lamar English and this guy, George Irvine. And uh, George was a very uh, loud and outspoken uh, Critic figure. of dumb shit. But. <laughs> <laughs> figure in the, in the industry throughout the, the mid to late 90s into the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, made a lot of remarks, but in regards to dealing with fatalities in caves he did a lot of writing in these days and he wrote an article called my 77th cave dive that also looks at this very same mm-hmm. incident at uh, indian springs hey uh, so we had you had bill gavin in there with parker turner right where's bill main because we mentioned at yes. the beginning oh he's in george there. oh he's with george uh, bill main is with um somebody else i forget who okay. right now so george mentions lamar english had taken me under his wing immediately after i started the initial cave class and I had found Jared Jablonski right away. So I had hit the ground running and was averaging about two cave dives per week. This day was to be my first support dive of any distinction in the WKPP. Parker and Bill Gavin were to do the dive to the end of Indian Springs and try extending that cave out past where Exley had left off in his exploration in a lead Gavin had spotted on an earlier dive. Lamar English and I were to put in the deep deco bottles and ride out a ways to mark unexplored leads. Bill Main and his dive partner were to put in the intermediate bottles and do the same behind us. Everyone else was supporting on land and in the basin or just doing a dive. Yeah, so you've got a couple of a couple of groups of divers, a couple of teams of divers in the water, not just dropping off the bottles, but they're taking a look around. They're going to explore it a little bit. Uh, it's not just as simple as drop off the bottles and get out of the way kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, because you're going to go down 140 feet, you might as well... Do something Make else right something there too. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Then we've got six people going in basically so that these two guys can do the big push at the back. So George writes, I had mixed the back gas for both Lamar and myself, but had done so based on the wrong depth. We did not know the cave went deeper than 150. We dropped down to 110 feet and clipped off deco bottles for Parker and Bill and then took off upstream. Bill Main and his partner entered a few minutes later. Behind us, Main had called his dive about 1,200 feet in and turned. Lamar and I rounded a corner about 3,500 feet in, and the depth crossed 150 feet. I looked at my gauge when I had to clear my ears and let off the trigger. I saw Lamar's blade stop spinning at the same moment. We were floating there, looking at the white tunnel in front of us. I reached my wet notes, trying to figure out how I was going to tell Lamar that the analysis had come out two points over spec and that we had to turn. It was always me who weenied on the long dives he liked to do. But he turned to me with the scariest look in his eyes I have ever seen and took my notes from me. He wrote, Bubba, we're a little deep for this mix. And I was off the hook, but the look sent chills through me. Now I was scared, but I didn't know why. He just had a feeling. Had a feeling. We turned our scooters back towards the entrance and came across Bill Gavin and Parker nearing the stage drop. Gavin was really something to see in the water, so we stopped about 75 feet away and turned to watch them make the switch. Gavin floated methodically and executed the perfect drop and switch. Parker turned back and scootered in a few feet towards me, let go of his scooter, switched his light to his right hand, held his left hand out to the side in an okay signal, and shined the light on his hand. I returned the signal. 
He then went back to where Gavin was waiting and dropped his stage. That's what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, just clear, clean, smooth, mm-hmm. smooth divers in the water, right? Cool, calm, collected, under control, all by the book, slow and methodical, clearly showing signals that everybody can see understand communicate back i mean that's the sign of a, of a good quality clean dive season team, right? pro lamar and i continued out but never saw bill main he must have turned right before we reached him at the upstream downstream t lamar stopped and checked his gas pointed downstream and gave me the little bit signal i checked my gas and gave him the okay signal again he suddenly stopped and had that look come back only this time he showed me the thumb that means if you guys don't know <laughs> Dives over. Yeah, he's, made, he's so he's second guessing the. Let's go take a yeah. little bit. Want to go a little bit more? He's like, nah, nah. Let's get the let's get the fuck out of here. Kind of trusting that inner voice. Now I was scared again. We scootered back to the restriction and moved through. I was feeling a lot better now. We were out of the cave. I checked. I checked Parker and Bill's bottles. Everything was okay, and we started moving up to where Bill Main and his partner were decompressing above us. Okay. At fifty feet, my computer wanted some unrealistic deco. So I took it off, strapped it to my scooter, and dropped the scooter to the floor below. Later, bitch. It had been about four minutes since we cleared the restriction. Suddenly, everything cut loose. The water went rushing past us from above, and the cavern blitzed in an underwater sandstorm. Bill Main and I both went instinctively to the ceiling to try to recapture what we thought was my runaway scooter. When we figured it had to be the scooter thrashing the place and blowing the water on us from above, we could not see it sitting below us peacefully on the floor. So it wasn't a scooter. Right, but they, they figured like him being the new kid at the time. Yeah, you know, I'm going to dump, dump yeah. the scooter, and then all of a sudden, boom, and then he didn't trigger, lock his trigger, yeah. didn't lock the trigger mm-hmm. down. Yeah, for those that don't know the these scooters, if the uh, you're being towed basically on a scooter, you don't hold on and 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 use your arm strength to be towed by it. It's towed on a uh, leash that gets connected to a crotch strap D ring. Uh, so this leash at times can get caught around the the handle where the trigger is and it will pull it will just lock the trigger down and pull uh without anybody on it or no hand on the trigger right and that can uh can lead to serious incidents correct that's why it's, the scooter's not just a toy it's a it's a useful tool for diving but it can also it can kill you yes there's more there should be more more to a, a dpv class than hold on and go <laughs> yeah these are so much fun uh, at least this is with serious DPVs. I right. mean, you, these little torpedo jabbers that they've they've got in uh, most of the dive shops probably can still damage you, but they're not the same thing. What was really happening was the water was rushing in from holes in the ceiling above, pulling sand and silt in with it and in from the entrance to the cavern. What we did not know is that someplace in the system, an aqua cloud had cut loose, turning the cave into a violent siphon, which lowered the water level in the basin by a full foot and pulled white water rapids backwards up the spring run. The rushing water pulled sand and debris over the restriction at the entrance of the cave, and the movement suddenly stopped. All of the silt and sand had been sucked into the cave. So amazingly, we were sitting in clear water again. I dropped down to my scooter, still not believing it was not responsible, only to find it untouched. I noticed that the deco stop had gone from the screen. It had been four minutes that the cave flowed backwards. None of us got it. Nobody on the surface got it. Nobody came in to check on us. This would be the day that ended the easygoing volunteer WKPP of old. 
if it did not end it forever. In fact, that day, all but four of us quit the project, and most quit cave diving for good. Gradually, the cavern started silting out again. Lamar and I were getting uncomfortable about it, but we still did not know why. Bill Main and his partner had already gotten out. We were at 20 feet. I decided to check on Parker and Bill, so I dove back down to 110 feet. Yeah. So they're they're up on O2 basically, right? I mean, uh, they're almost done. I mean, they're doing on the, they're doing the long, shallow part of deco at this of point. Their deco, yeah. And uh, he's realizing, oh shit's hitting the fan big. Yeah, we um, need to get back. What, what's yeah. going on down there? So he's going to go check and see what's going on with the last two waiting to come out. Right. Everything appeared the same, but I did not go far enough to see the restriction, which was no longer there. The bottles were untouched in the same place I had put them, clipped to the line. I began wondering about the length of the dive relative to the gas supply, but these guys were the pros. I came back up to Lamar and did not see the support divers come past me in a silted-out cavern, but figured they must be there and must be silting it out. What was really happening was that the cave had blown the restriction back open again, and the silt cloud inside was flowing out. Lamar and I surfaced. Lamar was right up against me on the surface, and he had that look again. We were out of earshot of everyone. He asked me if I saw Parker and Bill when I had gone back down. I said no. Their bottles are still there. He floated there thinking. Then the support divers popped up by the dock. Steve Irving asked them if everything was okay. One said yes. Steve said, did you see both of them? Where are they? One said, I saw Bill. The other said, I saw Parker. He waved at me. The other said, that wasn't Parker. That was me. You dumbass. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Well, I mean, if everybody's got a black dry suit on or whatever right right but, well in 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 these days yeah. right this was uh the early hey. <laughs> <laughs> just just wave them past wave them past yeah. it's uh it's like okay 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 <laughs> just make it stop well again that's what uh you know george was saying in this is like this dive is what ended the just the volunteer divers of old right lamar got real close to me and whispered bubba something is not right i'm going to go check he dropped down and reappeared two minutes later, again whispering, Parker is screwed. I found his tanks on the line with his light on, and he and Bill are not there. I deflated my wings and dropped down, scootering down the now blackened out cavern to 110 feet. I passed one intermediate bottle clipped to the line, and then I saw one deep bottle still clipped to the line. I clipped in with my spool and hit the inflator going to the ceiling. I kept trying to remember what the cavern looked like but I had never really taken a good look. I was amazed at how far up it went. I then started sweeping in zero viz, banging along the ceiling of the cavern. I ran smack into Gavin. I could not tell who it was at first and was feeling all over him to see if he was alive. He did not move, but I could hear him breathing. I found his pressure gauge and held it to my mask at red zero. I grabbed the stage gauge and saw it had gas. He was on the shallow bottle. He had used the deep bottle and jettisoned it, apparently, and was still sitting on the ceiling, off the line, silted out on the second bottle. Just fucking waiting to die, right? Yeah, what are you going to do? What the hell are you going to do? Oh, my yeah. God. Frightening. So he had to get to shallow water. At least he knew that. That's right. why and he was at the in, ceiling. He was in that place of just, you know, remember last week we talked about uh, Brad and, and yeah. Lee and, like, like... What are you going to do? What do you do, man? Like... He passed me a tiny slate. I could not read it. I pressed it to my mask and shined my light at the side of my clear silicon skirt. Parker is dead. I felt like my heart stopped. I kept holding the slate to my mask. I woke back up. I had to get Gavin some gas. I asked him if he knew where his oxygen was. He said yes. I did not believe him. I don't think he cared where it was. 
I realized he was not in a good space. I could not get him to move. I tied my reel to him, then ran it to the trough, then out and to the surface, over to the dock, and tied it off to a piling. So what George is doing is is running a line from Gavin, who's stuck at the ceiling breathing on a deco bottle, and probably Puro too, uh, up to the trough or over to the trough so he can find his way to get to the trough. Now, the trough is basically what you picture as a trough, like these old horse troughs, uh, these metal giant tubs uh, that they used to fill up with water or what, whatever, oats for the horses down in uh, cave country. And they tip it upside down and uh, they anchor it, you know, with weights. You can get, it's a get dry, your head. dry chamber. Yeah, you can get up inside there and it's a little dry, whether it's, Depending on the size of the trough or whatnot, but it's basically, you know, like your head and shoulders are in yeah. some dry area and you keep your rag in and breathe your O2. Everyone stopped what they were doing and looked down at me from the dock. I tried to get myself together to speak. Parker is dead. I could hardly get the words out. Bill Maine started pacing back and forth. He said, that is not supposed to happen. I said, Bill, you have to go down and get Gavin. He won't move. I tied off to him. Just follow the line and get him up to the trough. Lamar went down my line, and Bill had his tanks on in seconds. They followed the line to Gavin, moved him to the trough, and sat there with him for nearly four hours. I never asked what went on, but I didn't have to and didn't want to know. Bill Gavin was beyond upset. Rough stuff, man. Yeah, so you're uh, these guys are pretty tight group. Yeah, brothers. And, yeah, and brothers in the in the cave diving game for sure. And one of them they know is is gone. He's dead. So and probably the and one they still that got and the they, other one they don't they still got to get out. And they this wasn't just any any old die. You know, it wasn't like a guy they expected to ever die. He was like this you know superhero uh, per se of cave diving. This right. guy. If this guy can die, anybody can die. When I saw that Bill Maine and Lamar were on it, I went back down the main line, tied in, and began sweeping again. I did this nine times with stages and back gas until I ran out of gas. I could not find Parker. I forgot to decompress and just got out when the gas was gone. I was sick. So yeah, so here, I mean, everybody's just like, yeah. minds are just reeling. Which My- is not what you want either, right? Shit like this happens. You don't want, you already lost one guy. Now you're going to start making stupid mistakes, you know, blowing deco, just your emotions are taking over. you got to be like me. I, I, a, I don't have a heart, as my family would tell you, and uh, I just don't care. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on now. If that was old Jamesy. Old Jamesy, well, that'd be different. I'd be like, fuck, who's going to take over for the podcast? <laughs> None of you guys can. <laughs> None of you guys can talk. <laughs> Gavin later told me that he and Parker had reached where the restriction was supposed to be, and the line just disappeared under the sand, and that the main tunnel was totally blacked out. Parker's scooter had failed, and Bill was towing him. He got Parker to wait while he scootered back to the upstream downstream T to see if maybe he'd gone the wrong way. Imagine what was going through the mind of an 18-year veteran cave diver diving in a place he knew like his own house. He came back to the restriction. For 45 minutes, they tried to find a way out, tying in their spools to where the line was buried and searching forward. Gavin told me they were down to almost no gas, and he knew they were going to die. He said he did not want to see Parker die, so he moved over to die by himself. That's, I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking when he said, you know, I'm going to go over here and look, because there's no freaking way. There's no way you're going to sit there and watch each other die. Right, right. And at, at this point... You have no way home. You're completely trapped. Right. You're watching that needle 
I mean, just just think when you're out on the road trip and you, <laughs> you're you watching did, your fumes. You didn't, you didn't stop yeah. and get gas at that last gas yeah. station like you should have, and then you go rolling past one and it's closed. You're yeah. like, oh man, you're on the highway and you're, you're well, just pulled. put yourself into like, okay, I'm I'm on I'm, I'm doing that. I'm on fumes. I'm in the middle of the desert. It's 140 degrees out. I'm a thousand miles from anything. Right. Well, what the hell's going through your mind? Still, that still doesn't really capture exactly what's going to be going through these poor guys' minds. Unbelievable. At that moment, they felt the water flowing and followed it. Parker had taken his tanks off and was dragging them behind him. Gavin left his on. Both had hit the entrance as it blew open with less than 100 PSI in their tanks. Without his back tanks for weight, Parker must have been struggling to stay down used the last of his gas and blacked out. The ceiling on the other side of the restriction is at least 30 feet above the floor, and he could not hold on. Gavin made it a few feet to his bottle and got the deco gas just as he ran out. Gavin told me that knowing you are going to die is the most desperate feeling there is. He said, you don't ever want to experience that. All of our worst fears in cave diving demonstrated. For sure. For sure. Yeah, the, I mean, all those horrible things that you could possibly imagine coming true, right? Uh, yeah. You're like, what the hell right did now, I do wrong? Right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think your mind automatically goes into, you know, at least most human minds. Minds that way is with this uh, cause and effect. What did I do wrong? There's got to be a, a reason for this. But again, we go back to, well, the reason is your your card came up and damn. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sucks. So. Like I said, uh, if your card comes up, it comes up. But Usually, you know, and I I know I've been cave diving and, and had like a little voice saying, watch your ass kind of thing, or you're just not feeling 100%. Well, like, I've been the opposite more often than I am. That, what I mean by that is like, you just feel great about the dive. You're just re- locked, cocked, ready to rock kind of thing. You're, let's go. Let's go do this. Yeah, but every and now then and then you, you get a little, a little voice that yeah, says. Yeah, at all kinds of dives, it's been like, oh, something's not Pay right. Pay particular yeah. attention today. Something's, something's not right. You. Yeah. Pay yeah. particular attention. Uh, so it, maybe it's the, the volume of that voice or that you got to pay attention to. You know, it's like, hey, motherfucker, you know, <laughs> shaking you. Or is it just, hey, hey, just letting you know, uh, today might be the day. <laughs> well, interestingly enough. My, know, vo- m- the, my voice in my head doesn't sound like my voice, so it's a, it's a Latin woman. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly enough you know george said earlier in this and i skipped over that right from the start things went strangely parker appeared distracted and was not feeling well most of the more experienced wkpp divers were all sick and in street clothes so could not dive and were running the surface so i offered to do the dive in parker's place parker said don't you think that would be a bit much to bite off right now <laughs> uh, telling george who's on his 70 something cave dive, cave dive you know yeah. like oh you're gonna you're gonna do the big one you <laughs> you cocky little <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> um his stages were not all the way full and he had a 3x techno scooter gavin had a gavin gavin had a gavin so i mean a lot of folks don't know the the history of dpvs kind of thing scooters diver propulsion vehicles all the same thing uh those old i mean a lot of people will remember the technas and the and the makos the little watermelon shaped uh, that's what we call them watermelon scooters the gavin was built kind of around that had basically the same back end but the um, the motor and the battery compartments were a little high charged and high volume kind of thing yeah they were all customized yeah yeah and gavin again gavin uh, he has a background in engineering and uh, was contracted to US Navy for uh, making underwater vehicles 
So, I mean, he is no dummy, and he's, uh, he knows exactly what he's talking about. George said that he offered up his full bottles and his more powerful scooter, so he must have been on a Gavin as well. Or he might have had his own customized supercharged Gavin. With flames. With flames on the side, yeah. <laughs> and headers. <laughs> <laughs> and headers. Four barrel carbs. <laughs> Damn thing's turbocharged. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he, he has the Wango Tango of scooters. <laughs> Parker said, "No, it's too late. He didn't ask me for the keys to my car. I had a built-in phone, and a month later, when I got the phone bill, I saw he had phoned his house. That was November seventeenth, nineteen ninety-one. I don't need to look at my logbook to remember that. His wife later told me that he called her to tell her he loved her." No, but for me, I mean, yeah. it chills, yeah. right? Yeah. You, get, yeah, yeah. you get you get chills just thinking of of knowing that that voice was there, like mm-hmm. saying, like I say, yeah. Uh, you always, you know, and like uh, that, that voice is there going, "Hello, hey, hey. <laughs> just tapping you on the shoulder." You know, mine's uh, more like, "Hola, Senor Brandon." <laughs> <laughs> Hola, I'm just here. Uno momento, Senor. Uno momento. I'm here waiting for you. Well, so. I know we're running long now, so let's um, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. So, so twenty years later. Well, before we do that, James, you yeah. want to say a little bit about this, how it affected these guys? Because again, these were seasoned cave divers or seasoned divers. You know, these guys are all friends, very good cave divers, and this happens. It threw them all for a loop. Yeah, a lot of them never dove again. Exactly. Never even dove again. Yeah, did not let alone dive, cave diving. Get back into the cave. And George was having a very hard time getting back. He he wouldn't go back in the uh, in the cave at all. Um, and then Jared Jablonski, JJ, he was the one that really coaxed him back into the water. Said he got to get back in the water. You know, yeah, he got, got him back into diving. Um, got him back in the cave and re right. reaffiliated with the WKPP and. and the system basically changed. Yeah, the, the management of the system, the management, the the protocol, the practice that they they took it, you know, seriously. That not just the underwater portion, which they were taking pretty seriously and trying to learn, but the top side and the whole management, the whole view of a project like this that that the shit can hit the fan proverbially at any time, and it is going to at the worst possible time. And you need that support on the surface, as right? Well as the support underwater. on the surface is, uh, I think that it was that chaos that, that really mm-hmm. led to all the frustration on the dive. Yeah. It wasn't so much that the the whole cave collapsed in and Parker died because of that. It was the chaos and the confusion of figuring out what to do and how to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though there's nothing really, you know, you can't make the cave end go away. You can't. That that happened, but again, so that was born out of this. So there's good to come out of this. And again, JJ and George went on to, with the help of you know these other great divers, the support the support system of the uh, WKPP. But they went on to break many records and in, in cave diving and 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 come up with new ways that make diving safer, not just for cave divers. Yeah, this uh, but safer for everybody. Really worked its way into every aspect of diving today. Yeah, mainstream diving, mainstream recreational diving has benefited from what these guys have done. Yeah, in 1991, you didn't get on a dive boat and see a backplate wing in long hose. No, no. If you did see it, you were ridiculed. Uh, yeah, it was everybody was in their jacket. It was, you had neon green. Yes, neon a lot of yellow, out there. neon pink. 
That was the norm. That was the the big fluffy. Yeah. That's why I say the big 90s, bubbly, big bubbly jackets. The nineties were the worst decade of all time, if you ask me. <laughs> if I and I, if you were born in the nineties, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, my kids were born in the nineties. What am I talking about? But what happened over the next couple of decades? Yes. with with gear, right? Of of wanting the reliability of equipment in this environment has slowly worked its way into mainstream diving as well True. to the point where now every every major manufacturer has got a good a part plate. of their mm-hmm. equipment is you know a backplate wing what, kinda... would, what would be called techie gear back in these right. days which is now, you know, is now yeah. mainstream stuff right the, the whole hogarthian method of uh gear setup or uh rigging whatever you want to call it i mean i remember back in the early 2000s talking to like one of my sales reps about like Hey, you, know, you guys should uh, at least have some of this stuff. And they were like, <laughs> why, yeah. why, why would we do this? It's the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, really, bent up piece of metal with some strapping. <laughs> oh, if you could make a buck at it, we'd do it because there's nothing there. Yeah. Well, and you figured out a way to make a buck at it, haven't oh. they? And then I, 20, these 20 years later, yeah. whoa. I got so tired of talking to people. Uh, even people that have been in the industry for so long, the fools, fools, uh, just did not want to listen to any logic. Wanted to, you know, stick with the old old method of making money. Had nothing to. That was my whole thing. Is they never even examined it, examined the the benefits of it to diving. They just poo pooed it because you can't make money off of it. Now you see how bitter I am against this, uh, you know, the mainstream diving community in industry. I should say, not community, because I love you people. The industry can f*** off and die. No. <laughs> can you give me something I can work with here? Go ahead. Anyway, back to, back to uh, our story. Okay, so anyways, some 20 years later, in a story in the Science Daily from September of 2015 out of the Florida State University, there is a scientist that feels that he has discovered the cause of this geological mystery. I'm all ears. And how you could so discover it. How many uh, years? How many years is it now? Twenty. Uh, <laughs> <is>, <laughs> no, it's a, well, from ninety-one till two thousand eighteen. Two thousand fifteen is oh, so oh, okay. years. Twenty twenty-four years. Yeah. Doran Knopf is a distinguished professor of physical oceanography at FSU. Okay. And um, he feels that he has an answer. And he says that the answer lay in the diver's regular diving process. At the end of the dive, divers must engage in a process called decompression, which eliminates the dissolved inert gases from their body. In this case, a diver has begun to decompress in an air pocket, which sent bubbles to the top surface of the cave. On the face of it, that might not seem like a big deal, but bubbles change the levels of buoyancy in the cave, which affects the stability of the rock and sediment that make up the ceiling and walls. Because the buoyancy changed, loose parts of limestone effectively weighed more and came crashing down, blocking the pathway for the divers. It's almost like having a mudslide underwater, he said. Ah, uh, okay. What do you think about this little He's theory? a scientist, Brandon. Yeah, well... Not only that, he's also a cave diver himself. He was already working at Florida State at the time of the 1991 accident and was fascinated by the mystery, both as a diver and a scientist, they say. He toyed with different theories on and off, but this year he finally decided to dedicate himself to setting up experiments to find an answer. And? So he and his team had suspected buoyancy levels likely played a role in the problem. What is a buoyancy level? The The the, amount of, I mean. The the buoyancy of the rock. Okay. 
meaning like if, if bubbles get behind loose rock, now that rock weighs heavier than it did oh. if it was buoyed up by the water below it. But I'm still trying to I'm still trying to picture this what he's what he's saying. So he may so the air bubbles went went into the karst into the limestone. Correct. Okay, but the limestone is the limestone underwater. If it's in an air pocket, yes. it's not underwater. Yes. The limestone is underwater. An air pocket can be created, but the, right. but the bubbles slowly. But, but the bubbles go dissipate through the through the porous limestone. Correct. He and his team had suspected buoyancy levels likely played a role in the problem. So he designed an experiment to test how material could fall from the surface. With the help of an FSU Geophysical Fluid Dynamics Institute, researchers created a circular glass structure that they filled with an orange fluid. At the top of the structure, the team attached a strong magnet and let a metal ball hang from that magnet into the fluid. To start the experiment, they pushed air through a line into the structure. As bubbles started moving to the top, the ball began to wobble. After a few seconds, it plunked to the bottom of the glass, illustrating how sediment or limestone could have done the same thing in a cave. I don't know if that's much of an experiment. I don't know. It was I don't, Florida I don't, State I Geological <laughs> Study Unit of Fluid Dynamics. Yeah. You know, I'm one of these people that I don't pay attention to any of the like letters and shit after people. Pay attention to what they have to say, and and you know the material. I don't he know. Said that the I bubbles. Mean, he said that because of the bubbles, the buoyancy is reduced, so the object weighs more. Bubbles are going to come out. I mean, there's bubbles in every cave system I've ever dived. You know, before you even go down into the sinkhole, uh, there's bubbles coming out. Uh, if you go to Devils, go, go to Devils, man, Ginny. You, if there's divers there, the place looks like a you know like a fish aquarium with the the, the filtered yeah the filtered, champagne, champagne bubbles, bubbles coming, coming up, up from the, the ground. The rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's coming up through the rock all you, day you. long, every day. Ginny's a very busy cave system in the sense of you know it's not like doing the charters out on the reef, but there's a lot of there's a lot of divers that come to Ginny and to train and and go. So if it was going to happen anywhere, you'd say it happened there. But maybe I so what would he's saying have is said it would have happened there. Maybe he's but, saying that the rock was already loose, and, and I guess. That's my point. Down. It's more. It's you could say, yeah, the bubbles. To try to put like a like these bubbles did it is like saying, yeah, the water did it or the rock did it. the The fact of the matter is, it was a loose a loose structure. It was destined to fall. Now I, I'm like, you're looking for a blank. You know, like you're going to be able from knowing this, you're going to be able to stop further cave-ins. False. I don't think False. you're right. I agree. Knowing right. all you're saying is, yeah, bubbles do do affect the rock. In the sense of, yeah, they're up there. If there's loose rock, a bubble might be able to to do a little something. But it was already loose. The thing is, it was loose, and it would have all it might have been a fish. A fish could have cracked. You know who I think did it? JFK. Oh, Senor Brando. <laughs> Senor Brando. <laughs> Senor Brando. Come, come, play with my rocks. I don't think it was Carlita. It was not Carlita. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, what a crazy story, everybody. Um, that concludes this year's uh, Cave Diving Month. Uh, this one was a little little darker and, and sadder than usual. Hopefully, uh, we can walk away with some good good understanding and lessons learned, though. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know we'll what lesson ready. you could... And we'll I mean, be... the only lesson we really could learn is... is... A... When it's time, it might Take a just look be over time. your left shoulder. Listen to the inner voice, see, maybe. Uh, yeah. Listen to Carlita. Look within. Look <laughs> within. I don't, I don't know. What lesson can you take from this, old Jamesy? 
maybe savor the time you got. We're all destined to, you know, to take all, the giant dirt nap here. We're all only up here for a limited amount of time. So make the most of it. Go cave diving. Go cave diving. <laughs> Come diving with us. Come diving with the TGDP crew. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what other don't lesson we can to. take from this. You, and you don't only, touch my you shit. You only you only have so much time to donate to Patreon. <laughs> exactly. So get out there and do it, people. You want to feel a, good about yourself. Send a donation to PayPal for TGDP. Next week we're gonna, we're coming at you with our 100th episode Holy. Super TGDB party. You guys said it wouldn't happen. You wondered how you were wondering how we could make it five episodes, ten episodes. The doubters. Here we are at 100. We're, we're going to bring in our biggest a, doubters, and we're going to have them as guests on the having, show. <laughs> we're having a blast. We're going to have a bash. Uh, send us uh, send us some comments. We're going to go through a bunch of uh, good comments. We have a lot of thank yous to give to a bunch of people, so we're going to oh, take care of that means. next week. And um, hey, till next time, keep the keep your <laughs> keep your dive lights on. Keep those dive lights going. Yeah, and safe dive. Blood, 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 blood.